Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, good morning. If you will please grab a Bible and open it to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, the Bibles and the baskets are marked with a post-it note, so it should be really easy to find. But we're in um, about a month into this series on the story, learning to understand the Bible as one continuous story of God and people, of how God works in relationship with people and how he's working in our world. And of course, we started in Genesis. We spent about a month in Genesis learning how God, he created this world good. And he created us in his image so we could rule over the world. And then we broke it. You know, just just like that. And we broke our relationships with one another, with God and with creation. And ever since then, God has been enacting a rescue plan of how he is Fixing our relationships with him, fixing our relationships with one another, and with creation. Genesis records how God comes to a man named Abraham. And he says, follow me to a land I'll show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And we've talked about how that is the basic offer that God makes to all of us. That if we follow him to some unknown place in life. We don't know the journey he's going to take us on. But if we follow him, he will bless us and make us into a blessing to other people. And so he says this to Abraham, and through his descendants, God promises that somehow he's going to bless all people on earth. That's important. Remember that. It's going to come up later, okay? So Abraham, he follows God to the land of Canaan, and God promises, I'm going to give you this land to your descendants. The problem is he has none, right? It's not until he's a 100 years old that Isaac is born. And then Isaac has two sons. The youngest is Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And during a famine, they go to live in Egypt. And after the famine, they just stay there. They just stay there. And so it's 400 years later now. And... Jacob's family, God gave Jacob the name Israel. So his family, his descendants are called the Israelites. And they have multiplied and grown so much that the Egyptians are afraid of them. They're afraid they're going to like become a military strength and take over their land. And so they preemptively start enslaving the Israelites. And that's what we talked about last week. And it's interesting because Exodus records the Israelites were crying out because of their oppression. Exodus 2.23, yes, says this. There you go. But when she... Oh, that's 2 verse 3. I'll read you 2 verse 23, okay? It says, During the long period of time, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went out to God. Now, it's interesting because it doesn't say they were crying out to God. It just says they were crying out and God heard them. Exodus 3, verse 7 says the same thing. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Maybe they were crying out to God, but... It's quite possible they weren't. 
If you remember when God recruits Moses at the burning bush to go and tell the Israelites, hey, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has come to set you free. Do you remember what Moses says to God? He says, well, if they ask me who's the God of our fathers, what should I say? You see, Moses, he didn't have a good idea who this God was. And he assumed the other Israelites didn't have a good idea who this God of their fathers was either. And so it's quite possible that after 400 years of being in Egypt, the Israelites were actually way more familiar with the Egyptian gods than they were their own God. But nevertheless, God hears them. And he comes to them to save them. And that's the point I want to just emphasize for a moment. That it's God who is the one who comes. All these stories that we've covered in the last few weeks. Adam and Eve, when they sinned. Did they cry out to God and go seeking God for help? No. They were hiding in their shame. And it was God who went seeking them. To restore them and cover their shame. Um, in Genesis 12, verse 1, when God says to Abraham, go to the land, I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation and bless you and cause you to be a blessing. Does, when we read that, did that say Abraham had been seeking God and he was like a really righteous person and all this stuff? No, it doesn't say that Abraham knew God at all. It was God who made the first step and moved to Abraham. When Hagar and Ishmael are wandering in the desert, and Hagar is sobbing because she cannot stand to watch her son die of hunger and thirst. Does the scripture say she cried out to God? No. We read that one like three weeks ago. But it says God heard her and Ishmael, the boy. And so he came to them. And he guided them to water. And he guided Ishmael to become a prosperous man. When Moses is shepherding flocks in Midian, did he cry out to God and say, God, come help me save my people? No, he had given up on that dream. It was God who came to Moses to recruit him. My friends, it's God who always makes the first move. Always. You may think you're sitting here because you're seeking God. And you want to know him better. You are sitting here because God has been wooing you. Because he has been coming to you, getting your attention, and drawing you closer to him. It is God who always makes the first step in our relationship. So the Israelites, they're crying out because of their oppression, and God hears. He makes the first move. He recruits Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And you know the story. Pharaoh says, uh-uh, right? And so God, he does, he sends all these miracles, all these plagues on the Egyptians until they finally relent and let their Israelite slaves go, right? And then God leads them out of Egypt to the Red Sea. And you've probably seen this in a movie, right? This big dramatic moment where God, he parts the Red Sea and they walk through the dry land, to the other side. And Pharaoh regrets letting the slaves go. And so he comes after him with his army and his chariots. And God just drops the waters and... Whoosh, 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 wipes them away. 
And it's like God just washes away all of the things that were oppressing the Israelites. He just washes away and gives them a clean slate. And he brings them through the water to this new life of freedom where they are his people and he is their God. And my friends, I emphasize this because throughout Scripture, God uses that imagery of water to show how he comes to us and washes us clean of all our sin, of all the chaos, of all the bondage in our lives. And he brings us to new life where we are his people. First Peter 3 says this. I believe we have First Peter 3. There it is. You're going to see, as we go through scripture, you'll see this metaphor over and over again. The first time is with the, Noah and the flood. When the earth is filled with violence and God washes the violence away, brings Noah and his family through to this new life of peace. First Peter 3.20, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it, only in a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When... We are baptized and we go down into that water. It's not dirt that God is washing away. It's our bondage. It's our sin. It's our chaos. And we are dying to that old way of life. And he is raising us up to a new life. Where we are his people. Now he doesn't raise us up to a new life of freedom to rule ourselves. And that's what we all want. Like everybody wants God to just get rid of all the pain and all the gunk in my life so that then I am free to live the way I want to live. Like we, we all want that. But that's not the salvation God offers. It's not the salvation he offers. He doesn't offer that because, um, because ruling your own life is how your life got so messed up in the first place. Um, it's a mistake all humans make, and it started with Adam and Eve, where they wanted to take that knowledge of good and evil for themselves. Adam and Eve, instead of listening to God and what God said was good and evil, they wanted to be their own judges of what was right and wrong and make that decision for themselves. And it bred chaos and death in their lives. And we still make that mistake today. Our judgment, guys, human judgment of what is good and evil, is not accurate. It's just, it's not. I'll give you like a very basic, simple example. Human judgment says caffeine and candy are good and green vegetables are bad. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is common sense and we, we know it's, you know, we know that's not true. But we consistently convince ourselves over and over again, like, I need the caffeine, you know, right? And and we don't eat the green vegetables. Like, if we can get that wrong, 
and deceive ourselves about something that simple over and over again? You guys, we deceive ourselves about much bigger issues. We deceive ourselves about how to relate to one another in our family relationships and our romantic relationships. We deceive ourselves about how to handle finances and work. We get addicted to not only substances, we get addicted to unhealthy ways of living and relating. And we get addicted to them because at one point in time, we thought it was a good idea. We thought it was a good idea. And so God, he doesn't wash us clean of all of our bondage and all the chaos in our lives only so we can rule ourselves and fall back into it again. God offers to rescue us and wash us clean and raise us to a new life where we are his children who trust our Heavenly Father and follow him. And as their Heavenly Father, he loves us and protects us and guides us so we can live the way he created us to live. And that's exactly what we see God doing with the Israelites. So, picking up from last week, he has baptized them. He has led them through the waters, washed away all of their oppression and bondage. And now he's going to make a covenant with them to be their God who leads and protects them and takes care of them. And for they to be his people, his children, who trust and follow him. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. I love what he says here. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God says he is going, he's choosing them out of all the people on the earth. He's choosing them to be a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Mediator between God and man, yeah. Priests help bring people to God, become washed clean, and enter into a right relationship with their heavenly father, with the God of light and love and life. And so that's what he was calling the Israelites to be. Now, only a handful of them were professional priests. You know, they, they had other jobs. They were farmers and shepherds and carpenters and all kinds of different things. But collectively, they were to live as a people who shined this light to everybody else who was in the dark about God, just as they had been in the dark about God. 
They were to live in a way that shined this light. This is like, come here. This is the way to know the God of love and live in his kingdom. And my friends, that is the call that God, again, extends to all of us. Whenever God calls us and he washes us clean of our bondage and he raises us to new life, it's to live as his priests. Check out what it says in 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a what? A a holy nation. Yes. God's special possession. Did not we just read this? It's the same call. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. This is how God calls us to be a blessing to others. And so he first extends this call to the Israelites, and they agree. The next verse, verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded them together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. I love this. This reminds me of like sixth grade when you like write a note. Like, will you be my boyfriend or will you be my girlfriend? And you're too shy. And so you like have your friend pass it back and forth. That's what Moses is doing. He's like, God is like, will you be my people? And Moses takes the note and they're like, yes, we will. And Moses takes it back to God. It's just precious. And so um, in chapter 20... Verse 1, God says, okay, this is what it means to trust in me and live as my children, to live as my people. And I'm going to read these Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. I'm reading chapter 20, verse 2 now. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I just want to pause right here and comment on this. What God is saying, he's like, look, I'm the God who rescued you out of slavery. Remember that. Don't turn to any other gods that are going to enslave you. That's what he's saying. He calls himself a jealous God. And that seems odd because we think of jealousy as being a bad thing, right? And it is wrong to be jealous if you want something that belongs to someone else. You know, like sometimes we're jealous of someone's talent. Like, oh, I wish I could sing like them. Or um, of their home or of their boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or their job. You know, that, that kind of jealousy is wrong. But you have every right to be jealous of something that belongs to you that is being stolen from you. If your spouse has an affair with a coworker. You have every right to be jealous because your spouse's affection belongs to you and to you alone. If you are in college and you work really hard on a term paper 
and your roommate steals it and turns it in with their name on it. You have every right to be jealous for them getting credit for your work because it belongs to you. And that's what God is saying. He's like, I am the one who made you. I am the one who rescued you. I am the one who washed you clean. I am the one who's guiding you and protecting you and blessing you. Do not go looking to other gods for those things. It's me. I'm the one worthy of your affection. And I I want to bring this up because it is getting very trendy right now to worship other gods and other spirits. God created the angels. The Bible records how some of them fell and rebelled against him. And those spirits love to put on disguises and pretend to be benevolent and take credit for God's work. Um, It's very trendy now to worship spirits who take credit for nature. The Wiccan religion is growing in popularity. Other paganism is as well. And God's like, no, that's my creation. The spirit is my creation and you are my creation. (laughs) Do not worship them. Worship me. He says, um, punishing the children of For the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? That sounds really harsh. And I've had to grapple with what it means when the Bible talks about people being cursed by God. And this is, this is where I've landed. Over and over again, scripture talks about God's grace. And God's grace is when he saves us from the consequences of our own actions. God's curse is when he lets us experience the consequence of our own actions. And in this passage, when God says, look, if you're going to hate me and you're going to worship other gods, I'm going to let you experience what it's like to worship those gods and see how they treat you. But to those who love me, I will bless them for a thousand generations. His grace is always far, far greater. Far greater. And a little later in the sermon, I'm going to illustrate this passage with my own family story. And you're going to see how that plays out. Let's keep reading the rest of the commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who misuses his name. And we talk about this like we shouldn't use the God's name flippantly like a swear word. And that is certainly very true. I think that's an elementary understanding of this command. Um, if you study scripture, the, the misuse of his name that happens over and over again is people who say, God told me that. And it's false prophecy. People claiming that God said something he did not say or that they're coming in the name of the Lord who are not. It's false prophecy. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath, a rest to the Lord your God. On on it you shall do... I'm sorry. On it you shall not do any work, 
neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I just wanted to comment on the flow of these ten great commands. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. And the next six have to do with our relationship with one another, how we treat one another. And Jesus, um, he summarized the commands this way. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how he summarized them. And I wanted to point out to you that the, the two types of commands, the love God and love your neighbor, are hinged together with the Sabbath command. You see that? The Sabbath command, which is a good command. It's a command to rest. I mean, it's a gift from God. But it is a command. It's not a suggestion. And when we practice that Sabbath rest, what we're doing, first of all, is worshiping God. We are laying down our work and trusting God to take care of everything that needs to be done. We're refusing to be our own God. That's what we do on Sabbath day. And through that rest with God, it then fuels us, it restores us and fuels us so we can live rightly with the rest of each other the rest of the week. Do you see that? When we do not take Sabbath, we're like cranky toddlers who miss their naps. You know, like you, you laugh. I know, you laugh. But I'm telling you guys, Sabbath is how we're renewed in our relationship with God and that flows out to our relationships with others. And when we ignore Sabbath, it, if you ignore Sabbath long enough, it will have a negative impact on your relationship with others. It absolutely will. So the um, Israelites, they agreed to this covenant to be God's people who follow his good laws. And God promises to be their God who loves, protects, and blesses them. And in the coming weeks, we'll see how that agreement goes and who holds up their side of the bargain. But um, I wanted to share with you today my own family story of baptism. It's not something I share very often. Um, but there were just a few different things that happened this week that I just felt like God was tapping on my shoulder and saying, it's time, and there's people who need to hear it. So, um, I'm going to share with you my family tree. If you can put it on the screen. My um, great-grandma Ryder, she was the pastor of the First Spiritualist Church of Dearborn, Michigan. She was a fortune teller. And when people would call her for appointments, she wouldn't take their names. She would just take their initials down. 
And then they would come to her house, and I remember her house very well. And she would greet them by the door by their full name. And they were just in awe. And they would instantly put their trust in her because, like, how does she know my name and my birthday, you know? And, um, guys, I'll just tell you, it's not hard for demons to figure out your name. It's just not. Um, fortune tellers, spiritists like my grandmother, um, they contact what they believe are spirits of the dead. Much like witches contact what they believe are spirits of nature. But these are fallen angels, spirits who are in rebellion to God, and they wear disguises, they wear masks. And they disguise themselves as some benevolent spirit who can help you. But the treat is always a trick. It is always a trick. My great-grandpa, he... um. He was unloading a water radiator from the back of a pickup truck and it fell on him and crushed him to death. There's daughter Diane. Are you here? Beautiful girl. She was about 19 when she was murdered by her boyfriend. My great uncle Tom, he was very smart. He skipped a few grades in school, but he went insane. Except for when clients came to see grandma. Then the demons would have him in his right mind so he wouldn't scare clients away. But the rest of the time, he was insane and he lived his adult life in institutions. My uncle Bud lost his eye and his former wife, Aunt Marie, was found dead at the bottom of the staircase. Please don't know what happened to her. Bill... Uncle Bill, he he was very gifted as well. He was a clay modeler for Ford. Um, but he also um, became mentally ill and was found in his attic eating dog food and living as a dog. Aunt Stacy, her trauma came through the lives of her children. Michael got on a plane from New York to San Francisco and the family never saw him again. He just disappeared. We, to this day, have no idea what happened to him. Jerry was in Arizona, stopped at a gas station while his girlfriend waited in the car. When he didn't come out, she went in and found him beaten to death. Greg lived as a homeless man in Detroit. They found him frozen to death one block from the homeless shelter. He didn't make it there in time. Shirley. Shirley battled alcoholism. But she came to know the Lord. And she was saved. And Aunt Shirley died three months ago in her 70s of natural causes. She is the only one of her siblings who became saved. And she's the only one to live to later life and die a natural death. This is my grandma. This is my dad. My grandma Joni and 
Her kids, Barb, Karen, Lester, Sandy, and Diane, all became saved. And my dad studied scriptures and learned what scripture says about the occult and contacting other spirits, including the spirits of the dead. And he led the rest of his family, Joan, Barb, Karen, Sandy, and Diane, to repent. They all repented of the sin, of the occult. And I'm so glad they did. Because this rest of the family tree looks entirely different than this side of the family tree. It's just God has baptized us. He has washed us clean. And that kind of violence and trauma, that curse. Guys, there's no other way to explain my family tree except that we were a cursed family. That curse has not followed the rest of our family. And God has blessed us. He has blessed us financially with good homes and good jobs. He has blessed us in our relationships with one another. We have not perfect families, not perfect. We still have flaws, but we have healthy families. We have good relationships. And um, most of us are living as a blessing to other people as well. And it's a miracle of God, how God has baptized our family and he's raised us to a new life. I'm shooting this the wrong way. I'm sorry. (laughs) Gary. My Uncle Gary. Um, He did not repent of the sin of the occult. He said, I love my great, my grandma. I can't say that what she was doing was wrong. And he just, he, he didn't ever repent. Um, he's had a lot of tragedy in his life. I won't go through all of them. But my cousin, Ravon, when she was 19, she was in a Jeep with her boyfriend. Middle of the day. No storm, no alcohol or substances, no other vehicles involved. Middle of the day, the Jeep goes veering off the road and hits the only tree in the middle of a wide open cornfield. He walked away without a scratch. And we buried Rapun. Carrie's other daughter, my cousin Cheyenne, has been haunted by bullies. And depression and suicidal thoughts her whole life. And she now has this beautiful little daughter, Leah. I think Leah's about this tall now. Who can't talk and sees ghosts. My friends, this stuff is real. It is so Real, And we live in a culture that thinks it's fun and games and cute and now even trendy. And you can dress up for witches day and go out on the town and all kinds of things. Guys, it's not cute. It's powerful and it destroys. And you need to know that. Because what you don't know will hurt you. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14. God says this. 
He says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or is a medium or spiritist who consults the dead. Just want you to pause on that slide for a moment. Um, those who are practice witchcraft and are spiritists today, they would look at that list and say, that's an awful list. We do not make sacrifices. We, of course, do not sacrifice children. Um, my grandma, my great-grandma is on that list. She's a was a medium, a spiritist. She interpreted omens, consulted the dead. And she loved her family. And her kids loved her. And her grandkids loved her. And they were sacrificed. They were absolutely sacrificed. When she would um, consult the dead, she had this Bible that she had rolled up so tight it looked like a corn cup. And she would hold that Bible as she consulted the dead. And she thought her powers were from God. But if she had opened the Bible and read it, she would have known they were not from God. And what she was doing was leading to the sacrifice of her children and her grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. God doesn't permit us to do these things because he knows the devastation these evil spirits cause. He doesn't save you only so you can fall back into bondage again. He's the one who created us. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who loves and protects and guides us. And he is the only spirit that we are permitted to go to for wisdom and guidance and protection. The Holy Spirit of God. Amen. So guys, I don't, I don't know what is wreaking havoc in your life, okay? I hope it is nothing as dramatic as my family tree. Maybe it's something very common like addiction. Maybe it's something seemingly innocent, like perfectionism. And living under a law of constantly striving to earn love instead of living under grace. I don't know what wreaks havoc in your life, but this I know. God was powerful enough to free the Israelites from slavery. He was powerful enough to baptize and free my family from the curse that we have. And he absolutely is powerful enough to wash you clean of whatever chaos is in your life. And make you into a people who are blessed and who are a blessing to others. To bring you into his kingdom of light and life. So if you need deliverance, no matter what it is that you could need deliverance from, the first step is always to confess your sin and ask God to forgive you. And he gives his forgiveness generously. And ask him to wash you clean 
and to fill you instead with his spirit, which will give you new life so you can follow him and walk in his ways. Guys, we can't do it. We are stubborn. We can't follow God just by trying to be better. We have to ask God to make us new and to give us life through his spirit. At the conclusion of almost every message, not everyone, but almost every message, I stand back there at the cross to meet with anyone who wants prayer. And so after this message, during the songs, I'm going to be standing back there. And if you want someone to help you pray to, for forgiveness and to be washed clean, I'm happy to do that with you. In two weeks, we're going to be baptizing people again. We just baptized someone not long ago. We're going to be baptizing more people again in two weeks. So if God is calling you, if he has been wooing you, and you are ready for him to wash you clean of the chaos and sin and darkness and raise you to new life, where you live through the power of his spirit, let me know. And we will baptize you. If you've got questions, you just want to be curious, you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Eric. This week, um, my parents are also going to be standing back by the cross with me. My father is an ordained minister. And he and my mom have prayed over many people and helped many people become free of spirits of darkness. So if you need that kind of deliverance in your life, I also encourage you to come and meet us at the cross, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. That you are faithful, that you are good, that you love. And even when we don't cry out to you, you hear us, you see us, and you come to us. And you woo us to you. God, break down the barriers that we have to you. God, break down whatever it is that holds us back. Some of us, we've just been afraid. Some of us have just been stubborn. Some of us have given like half of our lives, but there's still these parts we're holding on to. God, we pray that just as you were mighty to save the Israelites and rescue them out of bondage and wash them clean, God, I pray that you will be mighty to save us. And I pray that you'll wash us clean and make us into a royal priesthood, a people, God, who will shine your light so bright that it will lead others to you. That we will not only be blessed for our sake, but also for the sake of others. Thank you, God, that nothing is too impossible for you. Thank you that you are the all-loving, all-powerful God who sees us. We give our lives and we place our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.